Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your hand. Let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, is, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work For Him Zone. I hope you're never the same. Every day on the I Work For Him program, it's our desire to challenge the way you look at your faith as it relates to your work and to try to connect the two. As it says in Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Today, when you were shoveling, when you were working, when you were copying, when you were stapling, when you were taking notes, when you were selling, when you were managing, when you were doing whatever it was you were doing today, did you thank the Lord for that? Did you thank him for the job? And did you say, Lord, thank you for this ministry that I've got? Today, we have the very special privilege of welcoming Dr. Paul Schreier, professor with the Department of Practical Theology from Azusa Pacific University. Today, we're talking about this this study that he, along with Rick Warren, put out, and it's just been released recently, called Christians in the Workplace. It's a six-week small group study, and today... That's what we're talking about. Christians in a workplace helping you understand that there's a resource for you and your church to help understand our role for Christians in a workplace. Dr. Paul Schreier, welcome to I Work For Him. Thanks, Jim. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Well, I hope you feel that way at the end of the hour, but I'm, I'm grateful <laughs> to have you here. You know, calling in all the way from California, that 3,000 miles, it's, it's almost like a different world. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it is. We uh, don't have thunderstorms. We have a drought. So. <laughs> yeah, you could use a little thunder and lightning. Probably not lightning, we'll just some... some of your rain. Yeah, that's one of the things. My parents live in the desert southwest, and I keep saying, you know, the one thing I've got going from here in Florida, yes, it's muggy, but we have water. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And if I can make a recommendation to you, maybe you ought to buy some real estate over here so when they finally do just cut off your water altogether, you've got a place to go. Because real estate's still pretty cheap here after the recession. So well, here's what I want to know, Paul. I want to know today, you're, you're, a, you're a professor in a, in a very famous university, because I've been hearing about Azusa Pacific since I was a, a teenager in middle school. How is Jesus Christ making an impact on your life today? Um, well, it's a difficult question, and it's an easy question. I think the, uh, the easy answer to that question is that I try and be obedient. I try and spend time with, uh, with God, with Christ every morning, and I try and uh, follow the direction that I receive on a daily basis, but also a long-term and a long-range obedience. So I felt when I feel I'm called to something, then I feel like I have to take the steps, move forward to uh, do what I've been called to do. So you've got a background in economics, which, by the way, we could use some people like you in Washington. Perhaps you should apply for the job when the next president comes up, because apparently nobody in Washington understands anything about economics and how raising the minimum wage doesn't solve any problems, how making people who work with a salary, getting overtime, how that doesn't solve any problems. They just don't they don't seem to understand economics on either side of the aisle, really at all. So. How did you end up as a professor at Azusa Pacific, a, a really a renowned California Christian university? How did you end up there? Well, we have 12,000 students now, and when I came here, I came here because my wife was my wife was from Costa Mesa. I'm a Canadian, and I was living in Toronto, and I met my wife. She was doing uh, post, postdoc at Toronto, doing research at a hospital, and I met her at our church. And so uh, we ended up getting married, and she wanted to teach at a Christian university. So she's been teaching here in the science department for 22 years, and she brought me along. Well, that was nice for her to keep you in the fold while she moved to California. So what, what's better, California or Toronto? I love both places. Now, my first seven years, I would have said Toronto. And now I'll say uh, both places have their strengths. I'm still I'm a dual citizen now, so I can... Well, we appreciate your we appreciate your tax dollars going to work for you. So that's great. I, <laughs> I, I love that. All right. So, did you grow up in the church? I'm a my dad's a pastor. My dad's a Pentecostal pastor, Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. He's not with us anymore, but I, so I grew up as a pastor's kid in the uh, '60s and '70s, and I quit going to church when I was about 17 because, um, well, there's a lot of reasons. It was pretty complicated, but for 13 years I didn't go to church. And I made a decision after uh, 13 years of not spending time at church and doing an economics degree and doing uh, graduate work in economics. I decided when I was 29 that I would uh, follow Christ again. Well, that was a good decision. Well, it was a complex one. It was a complicated one. And it was it was interesting because it wasn't one of those emotional decisions. It was more of a uh, this makes sense to me. I think I will follow through on it. And then I went back to school to understand what I'd followed through on. And I had a lot of questions. And so I went back to school and did a master's degree in biblical studies and a Ph.D. in New Testament and practical theology. So was it a complicated 
decision because you think on so many levels. I mean, guys that have you know that focus on economics, they tend to be able to think big picture. What was what was your biggest roadblock? And I know I didn't tell you I was going to ask this question, but you brought it up. What was your That's biggest okay. What was your biggest roadblock? What made it such a complicated decision? Well, see, the reason that I it's funny we think we will use all kinds of external reasons for leaving the church, but or for whatever we do, but they always start with our desires. So I had desires that were at odds with what I thought being obedient to Christ, man. And then you see the imperfection of the church, and you see uh, church people around you who don't do things right, and as a pastor's kid, sometimes you get hurt by that. But So I use the excuse that, oh, people hurt me at the church, I'm leaving the church. Well, really, my desires weren't uh, to follow Christ at that age. And so I followed my other desires, and as I matured, then I came back and I had to rethink, okay, was it really people and communities? Because communities will always hurt you and they will also always bless you. Or was it my own desire? So I had to work through that and I came to the conclusion that communities are imperfect, but the Christian community is a wonderful place to be and that is where the Holy Spirit works. And so I decided that I would return to being a Christian. So you uh, you walked away because of church people, but you came back despite church people. Well, no, I walked away because of church people. That was my excuse, and I came back because of church people. Okay. That's good. <laughs> so, I mean, and that's really, I think that is a big struggle for the greater community around our country and really around the world is the fact that Christians are hypocrites. I mean, we sin. I mean, I mean that's part of. I mean, part of the issue is that people that are outside of the church just expect Christians to be perfect, and they really have a hard time with them. And in the church, church people are not perfect, and so there's conflict, there's issues, there are people that sin inside the church, and then well, people really struggle with that, and it, and it causes issues. If I found the perfect church and joined it, it would no longer be perfect. Now, I, so. yeah, we have a pastor who say the perfect church would be an empty one. Because <laughs> right, I'd exactly. screw it up if I attended. Yeah, I, I agree. And But that's a tough point for some people. And, and you went an interesting route because a lot of people who decide to follow Christ, come back to Christ, rededicate their lives to Christ, whatever you want to call that, they wouldn't then, though, dive into a master's degree in theology and a doctorate in theology. Because, you know, as I've heard, th- seminary is tough on people's minds because you you not not for everybody's mind, but it's. You know, it's a lot of information, and it, it's, you know, theology isn't exactly exciting for people. You know, it's a lot easier. Yeah, the childlike faith thing is a lot easier. It's a lot tougher to have that childlike faith when all of a sudden you study for six years for a doctoral degree. Did that, well, was that more difficult for you to make it easier for you when you when you got your master's and doctorate? Well, um, the master's degree is like a step up from an undergrad degree, but the PhD, I was expecting a couple steps up. It was a lot harder. I think, though, the something that's really important for me is it's called a second naivete and so the first when you're first a christian you believe things naively and you believe things and then you get hurt and then all of a sudden you have a crisis and you have to make a decision well i had to work through a lot to come to a place where with my eyes wide open i could accept the claims of christ and i could accept the church as as christ's community with my eyes wide open and still saying okay and there are all these tensions there's unanswered questions there's things that I can't make fit, but even with those, so I had to I had to make a decision and then follow through on it with my with my eyes wide open and being aware rather than being blindly a follower and then saying, oh wait a minute, that didn't work, that didn't fit in my neat little. Uh, however, I've put this together, that piece of the puzzle doesn't fit, so it must not be right. So 
that's a, that's what was important for me was to understand that this is not a it's not simple, but then to make it a simple faith. I love that because I love the fact that you're a professor of the practical theology department at Azusa Pacific. Do I have that correct? That's right. I mean, I've never heard that before. I love that idea, practical theology. And and that name then means that there are some people out there that teach impractical theology? <laughs> I always say that I teach, it's an oxymoron what I teach practical theology. But I, I'm just kidding. What practical theology is, is it's a discipline that's usually found in graduate schools. We're the first undergraduate school in the country to have a department of practical theology. And practical theology, what we do is we take all of the tools of biblical studies and theology and church history, and we connect them with uh, other disciplines, such as uh, social sciences, economics, science, and, and we teach our students different ways to connect them, rather than just proof texting, taking a sentence out of the Bible and saying, so this is what it means. Well, you would never take a sentence out of the middle of a novel or out of the middle of a economics textbook and say, oh, so this sentence means this in light of this situation. That's not how we read books. Well, that's not how the Bible is used, and that's not how we understand our faith. So we teach our students how to take the best of research from other fields and then think about it critically with the best of research from our field without just proof texting, without just having a knee-jerk reaction. So Practical theology begins with understanding the situation. First understand, then evaluate, then try to be understood. Wow. So really, you're, you're and I'm going to see if I can say this in my own words, you're actually molding a biblical worldview into their minds, but giving them the ability to mesh it along with the other knowledge that's out there in order to be able to either refute it or support it. Is that what you're right, saying? Right, because... In any other field, when we think about the way we think, uh, we, there's nothing black and white. There's nothing that's good or bad. There's black, there's white, and there's in between. So there are things about, for example, let's take the entertainment industry. I have a number of friends who are producers and directors, and they're Christians. Well, there are some things that the entertainment industry does that are clearly wrong. And we will have some Christians that say, oh, so the entertainment industry is bad. But then there's some things that the entertainment industry does that are clearly excellent. And we'll say, have some Christians say, see the entertainment industry is excellent. Well, then there's some things that are in between and that they add to our Christian faith, and they're not clearly right or wrong. And so we try and teach our students that when you look at a situation, we have to understand that it's not, we can't run around looking for the black hats and the white hats. We have to think about this carefully and we teach people to be uh, thoughtful Christians that dialogue with our society while bringing the gospel, the good news of Christ. I love that, the dialogue with our society. And that's the mistake the church started to make 60 years ago. We stopped dialoguing and engaging our culture, and we, and we lost the culture battle. I mean, people one say... Of my friend, one of my friends, Ralph uh, Winter, has he's uh, produced four X-Men movies, four Star Trek movies. He produced The Giver last summer. Well, he produced, a, he produced a Halloween movie called Hocus Pocus, and a lot of Christians got very up in arms about it. However, it's one of the few Halloween movies that Christian families can watch together and that isn't full of chainsaws and everything else. It's a, so he was making a movie that has a good moral and that the brother saves the, the older brother saves his sisters. And, and so he said, I got, 
I got um, all kinds of bad press from the Christian community, but if you look at what I made, I made something that people are still using today as an alternative. It's a great Halloween movie. So that's a thoughtful way of doing our work. And Andrea has seen that movie, and she loved that movie. I have not seen it. I, I, I never get out. I don't have any time to go to movies. I'm gonna, I will, is it on Netflix now? Yeah, it sure is. All right, well, then I will put it on my list. Send me an email, Andrea. I'll watch it. Okay, so here's a question, and we're, and we're heading up on a break, but I want you to start off the answer. How did, how did God help you connect the dots where it connected your faith and your workplace? How, who, how did you help connect that? Because that's what this study that you produced with, along with Rick Warren, Christians in the Workplace, that's what this is all about. How did you, who connected those dots for you? I started connecting them myself. When I was doing my Ph.D., I had a wonderful mentor named Ralph Martin, and we studied the Greco-Roman society surrounding the scriptures, and I was shocked and surprised when I saw that Paul was quoting Seneca in some of his uh, writings in Philippians, and that Paul was involved in the culture surrounding him. And then I started reading about the economic culture surrounding Jesus. You know when Jesus talks about the rich and the poor, and he blesses the rich and curses the poor in Luke on the Sermon, or curses the rich and blesses the poor in the Sermon on the Plain in Luke? I wondered, okay, is he really cursing everyone who's rich? So I wanted to look at the background, and I realized the reason people had gotten rich was they were using debt to take away the land of the 93% of the people who were poor. So they were they were doing something that they were earning their money in dishonest ways on the backs of the poor, and that's who Jesus was cursing. He wasn't cursing people who were honestly doing hard work and and receiving the fruits of their labor. It's time for our book highlight segment, brought to you by Caris Christian Books and Gifts. That's right. Our book today that we're highlighting is Christians in a Workplace. It's a small group study for your church to have for everybody in the church, a small group study called Christians in a Workplace, put together by Rick Warren and Dr. Paul Schreier. As I understand it, Paul, you did a lot of the legwork on this. You put together the small group study. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, go ahead. Well, I was just saying, but, but I, I noticed that the videos are all Rick's face. Is that because they told you you didn't have a face for television, or that wasn't? <laughs> No, they were very they were very good about it. I worked with a wonderful woman named Helen Mitchell. She's in charge of workplace ministries at Saddleback Church. Mm-hmm. So Helen was one of my partners, and Matt Kuyper directed the video shoots that we did. So Matt is a an excellent television person. Um, so we we did a I did a bunch of research on different people and in different industries to understand how they practice their faith at work. Developed a set of questions. And then uh, Mike Klossman over at CBS was kind enough to let us uh, shoot the video interviews at CBS, and we interviewed 28 people. And then we created a six-week curriculum with six different themes based on our interviews that we did. Uh, and we're going to talk about it, those after the bottom of the half hour. Talk to me about who is this designed for? You said you were, there's already 30,000 copies of this out there. Who is this six-week study designed for? Well, you know, we intentionally tried to create it so it would, it would be designed for anyone who's a, who's working full-time. And then we also thought about, and we would have to do something a little different, but persons who are staying at home caring for children, they're working they're working really hard as well. And so A lot of times a lot harder than most of us. Lives. Yeah, I'm sorry. Absolutely. <laughs> so it's designed, it's designed very generally for people who are working and interacting with other people in their daily lives. So they can get a copy on the website, on Saddleback's website. Is there any other places they can get a copy of Christians in the Workplace? No, right now we're only selling it at Saddleback Resources. 
And that's they just go to saddleback.com, correct? Right. And then look up Saddleback Resources and it will be there. All right. It also shows in the back of the book Christians in a Workplace dot com. So that must be a website out there as well. That is a website of mine, and we are not actively. I'm working on a couple other movies about persons with disabilities, and we have not been able to uh, maintain the other one because we don't have the the means to do so. So Got we're it. allowing Saddleback to sell them. So Saddleback dot com. You can get a copy of Christians in the Workplace. I really want to talk about this connection, how God connected your faith, how, how, what you were studying. You said when you're studying your, for your master's degree, that God really drew that together, dot, connected the dots for you and connected your, saw how the connection was between your faith and your workplace. Uh, right. Well, you know, part of it, part of it, Jim, is that um, I worked, uh, I worked as an economist and I worked as a financial advisor. By the way, I heard Luke Andrews and Dave Cruz ad, and that is part, that's a, a great way to serve God in a holistic way, is to help people with their finances, and it's a great example of what I'm trying to teach in this Christians in the Workplace uh, series, is that, you know, Martin Luther says that we have two, we have two relationships. We have a vertical relationship between us and God, and we have a horizontal relationship between us and other human beings. And as we develop our horizontal relationship and our service to other human beings, that, that matures our vertical relationship with God. And so, what, as, as an example, Luke Andrews and Dave Cruz, and you didn't ask me to say this, they help people figure out how to save for retirement. They help people figure out how to keep their family safe if something happens. But what they're doing is they are serving other human beings, and by doing that, they're enhancing their vertical relationship with God when they're Christ followers. Then as they spend time in a vertical relationship with God, that enhances their ability to hear what the Holy Spirit is doing in the lives of the people that they're serving. So we really see this connection that uh, between our vertical and our horizontal relationships. And I, I've, that's so important to me. That's central to my understanding of my life. Wow, I love that. So, how you you got a degree? Your 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 doctoral thesis was on practical theology, or was it on the theology of work? I'm trying to remember. I, I, <laughs> so we we won't even. That's a bunny trail that you may not even want to go on. Okay, so I, well, did I a, can step back from my, it, but you can still tell me. Okay, well, you know what? I was interested in the relationship between the um, healing and deliverance stories in Mark's gospel and the relationships of the recovery stories in Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh. Because I was interested in how the faith, how faith is exhibited in both of those, and what we can learn from each other, and what Christians can learn. So there was another example of the horizontal and vertical relationships. I was fascinated by that whole uh, experience, and it was a great way to integrate. So that's going on a, you know, Big veer, but that was important to me, and it still is an important topic for me. Uh, someday, I'd like to take a whole show and do that veer off the to the to the right or the left, whatever you want to call that, because that to. is something you know. I've always grown up in in, in uh, I was I've been involved in Baptist churches, evangelical free churches, uh, Christian churches, covenant churches, and they never really talk about the work of the Holy Spirit very much. I, all the work, all of what I know, has been for my own study, my own reading, because you don't hear it from the pulpit. And and we so on, I would call that the, maybe the ultra 
conservative side of Christianity, but the, really it's just the ignorant side because the, as far as I was always taught, there's a trinity, but we don't really right. talk about it much. And, and the, I love when I have a conversation with people and we talk about the fact that the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us is the same Holy Spirit that helped raise Jesus from the dead and perform all those miracles. And, and Jesus said, we'd be able to do greater things than what he did. And I just previewed a book by a, a guy named Dr. Jim Harris, who's got a book coming out in the fall called Our Unfair Advantage, which is all about the fact that in the workplace, we've got the Holy Spirit who has our backs and knows all the answers if we would just rely on him in our workplace. So I, I'd love to go down that rabbit trail with you, but not today. So right. let's dig in, Paul, into this the six-week study that you put together with Rick Warren called Christians in a Workplace. How did you first get connected with Rick to be able to do this? Well, like I said, I was working with Helen on this, Helen Mitchell. I talked to her. I called her, said this is something we're working on, and Helen got involved with me. We actually created the the series, and then Rick watched it, and he loved it, and said, would you mind if I do the introductions instead of you in the series? And I thought, well, let me think. Rick Warren or me? So, yeah, of course you can. <laughs> everybody knows you. Nobody knows me. And so I did all the interviews, and, and then Rick and Helen... Uh, work through the workbook that I'd created. And I have a, I'd like to talk just for a minute about this because to me it's very important. The term impact. I believe that the focus of our lives needs to be on the results that we have in the lives of another person. It's not, my, my success is not measured by how much money I make. My success is not measured by all the accolades that I get. My success is measured by the way in which the lives of those around me are improved. And that's called, in nonprofit language, that's called impact, and it's, that term is being used more and more. So when I created this six-week uh, series, my whole goal is that everyone who uses it, I impact their lives, and their lives are improved for the better. So that's the purpose of doing this series. Well, and really, and it's so true, because if, if these, if the people, if the Christ followers who go through the study, their lives are impacted, and all of a sudden they're opened their eyes to that paradigm shift of looking at their workplace like a mission field, all of a sudden the world changes. Because I, I have that conversation with Christian business people, whether they're owners or employees, all the time going, you know, they're like, I hate my job. I want to get a new job. I'm like, really? But what if God's got you there on purpose? Well, in fact, I know he does. He has you there on purpose. Have you ever thought about the fact that the people you work with may never meet Jesus if you leave? And, and right, and that's one, one of the weeks is about our work as an opportunity to share the gospel and to witness. And that's one of the aspects of Christians at work. Another aspect and an example I love to use is people who make tires. If those tires weren't high quality, then my car would, I would have a lot of flats, my car would be breaking down, I'd be able to spend less time with my family at home, my work wouldn't be as efficient, there'd be a lot of hours lost. Imagine having bad tires all across the country, what it would do to our economy. Well, you know what that was so, like. A hundred years ago, that's all they had was bad tires. They didn't have vulcanization of rubber, and it was, yeah, we know what it was like. Exactly. They, were, they were breaking down all the time. Exactly. So everything that we do is... Our work itself as a ministry, by making good tires, I'm able to do, I'm able to teach better, I'm able to be a better father. And so there's always a connection at our workplace be with the actual work that we do being a ministry. And Martin Luther and John Calvin and many other uh, classical theologians recognize this that the reason the world works is because 
God uses, we're called the mask of God by Martin Luther, that all of the things that we do, whether it's providing financial services, whether it's uh, building a home, when we do it to the best of our ability and it blesses someone else, that's God doing his work through us. So our work itself has value, and often we forget about that, and so maybe we are so worried about witnessing to somebody that we don't do our work to the best of our ability. Well, doing the work to the best of our ability is a blessing of others, and it will be a witness in and of itself, and the first witness. I, I totally agree with that. We have a we have on on this show called the I Work for Him Nation. I invite people at the end of every show to join the I Work for Him Nation. And if you go to my website, you'd see what we're talking about. But it is it asks people to pray for their coworkers and employees, look for ways to serve them, look for ways to uh, reach out to them outside of the workplace to develop relationship, look for ways to pray with people, but all along being the best and brightest example of a person in your position, a person of excellence. Because you can do all those other things, but if you're not doing your job right, none of those stuff matters. Because people are like, well, you're just a hypocrite. You never do your job. I mean, well, one of my one of my friends, Doug Heal, is now a, he's a financial advisor. He's an insurance representative. He's wonderful. He was a pastor for 35 years, and um, Doug was talking to me about him making this transition, and he loves it, and he's doing extremely well at it. But he said he couldn't measure his success by the amount, the number of dollars he made a month. So he talked and talked with the supervisors, and finally. He said they came upon the idea of how many people could he help a month. And he said, that motivated me. How many families could I help a month? And, I mean, he was within the first year. He was in the president's circle at the largest insurance company in the United States. And he's gone on to really succeed. But when he focused on helping people, the the other rewards took care of themselves. So that's that's what we need to think about is helping people, working for other people, serving people. So let's talk about some of You've got six sessions, and they are God calls and equips us to do our work, work as ministry, work as an opportunity for spiritual growth and maturity, work as a means to cultivate moral and ethical behaviors, work as an opportunity to witness, and putting it all together. Those are the six weeks. So let's just kind of walk us through this. I'll do, I'll do this as quickly as I can. First, God calls. you got five minutes. Go ahead. You, you take a little okay. bit of time. God calls and equips us to do our work. Well, first of all, God can call us to our work in many ways. Uh, sometimes he calls us according to our station in life, the, the place you're born, where you're born, what kind of family you're born into. And Martin Luther at that time period believed that that was the main way that God calls us. Well, now it's only one way. Uh, John Calvin believed that God called us according to the gifts that we were given, our natural abilities. And that's also a way that God can call us. The third way that God can call us, especially in our global society where we're moving all the time, is we get dropped into a situation and we see the need around us and God wants us to meet that need around us. So when God calls us to something, there's a multiple, there's a number of ways he can call us. And it used to be we all did one thing for our career perhaps, but now for my students between 20, the age of 20 and 30, they'll have 10 different jobs, often with 10 different careers. And so now it's more fluid, so it's often what you get dropped into. Well, when So when God calls us, he then equips us. So he, he equips us with our natural abilities, but he also equips us through the gifts of the Spirit. And when we read about the gifts of the Spirit in First in First Corinthians chapters um, 12, 13, 14, 11, 12, 13, 14, they're representative gifts. They're not, they're a list, but that doesn't mean that's all the gifts. So we see in Exodus 
Aholiab and Bazalel are given new gifts. They're already work crew leaders. Well, they're given new gifts of teaching, new gifts of craftsmanship to do the thing that God wanted them to do with the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, God calls and equips us. The second thing that we need to remember is the work itself is our ministry. When we do the work, so I, like we've, I think we've already discussed that. So enough to say we don't shirk on our work. We are good workers, and we do good craftsmanship. Okay. Uh, work is an opportunity for spiritual growth and maturity. When we think about spiritual growth, often um, there's a dualism involved where we think about, oh, I can be very spiritual, and yet I can have a bad temper, or I can be impatient. Or Well, no, we don't. I don't believe we have a soul. I hope that doesn't startle you. But I don't believe we have a soul. I believe we are a soul. And so everything that we do as Christians is spiritual growth, and, and we need to mature as people. And when you see the list of what a mature person looks like in Paul's letters and when Jesus is preaching, it, there's a lot of character development. So work is our opportunity to learn to hold our tongues. Work is our opportunity to learn to make wise and discerning judgments. It's our opportunity to... Sometimes we feel anxious about something. Are we going to fly off the handle, or are we going to ask a question? There's a great new book called Thanks for the Feedback that talks about how often we fly off the handle, and I have a tendency to judge fast what somebody's saying. Well, so work is our opportunity to grow in maturity and spiritual growth. Um, Work is a means to cultivate moral and ethical behaviors. Usually we think about, oh, don't steal from the till. That's what a moral or ethical behavior is. Well, that's right. Steal, Not stealing and not lying, that's good. And those are baseline moral and ethical behaviors. However, there's other more complex moral and ethical behaviors. What if you're the boss? How are you treating your employee? There's, there's some morals involved in how you're treating your employees. And with ethical behaviors, there's, there's always power differences. Are you taking advantage of those power differences when you're the boss? And if you're the worker, what, if you take the risk of doing the honest and the right thing, it may have a lot more, a lot larger consequences than if you're boss and you take the risk of doing the right thing. So as a Christian community, we need to recognize that we need to support the worker who takes the risk of doing the right and honest thing, because that will be a lot more challenging, that may have a lot more severe consequences for them than somebody in a different position. So we, we always have to recognize power differentials, and when we cultivate moral and ethical behaviors, that's important. One uh, good story, Mike Klossman is now the president of CBS to- uh, Studio City in, in California here. Mike, everyone knew he was a Christian at his workplace over time. He didn't go around preaching at everyone. Well, he was very good at what he did. He finally got promoted to president. And the day that he got promoted, he got in one of the golf carts and, and did a tour of the lot. And he said, when I, when I did my tour around the lot, all the, uh, this is back in the, you know, back a while ago, all the pinups had been taken down. All the beer had been taken out of the refrigerators. And he says, it's not because they thought I was some kind of goody two shoes, but he said, it's good work behavior not to degrade people with sexual pictures and it's good work behavior not to drink on the job and harm people. So he said when he became the president, everyone knew who he was and what he was like. So uh, cultivating moral and ethical behaviors, people understand who you are. You're basically trying to help people recognize the gift that God has given people in their workplace, the gift of ministry, the gift of work. And you're trying to help them connect those dots that connects their faith to the workplace. Isn't that what you're trying to do? 
Absolutely. Broadly and comprehensively, not narrowly. I love that. Broadly and comprehensively. Well, really, because it doesn't matter what they do. They can bring glory to God with it, and they can be a minister in their workplace, whether they're an at-home mom, which that, to me, is probably one of the most difficult jobs out there, uh, or the president of a company, or anywhere in between. We all have a ministry. Absolutely. Uh, Let me say one comment about the last part. We all have to earn the right. To, we all minister, but we all have to earn the right to get our two cents worth in, to have people, social capital is what it's called. You have to have people trust you and respect you before you can share the gospel with them or be the gospel to them. So we all have to be consistent and work hard and earn the right to be a witness to the people around us. That's so powerful because there's a lot of people out there that argue with you and say, well, no, we could do street corner witnessing, things like that. And, and, and here's the deal. Jesus had relationship with people. And because of that relationship, he was able to say the things that were on his heart. And, and he cut right, he cut, he, he dove right into relationship. He wasn't, he never stopped and said, hey, how about those twins? You know, how about the weather? He, he, he cut right to the issues with people and developed relationship very, very quickly. Uh, and, and he used that to share himself. So let's talk about this study. People can get it online at saddleback.com. It's called Christians in a Workplace. Do you have a follow-up study? What, what's the next big project for Dr. Paul Schreier? Well, right now what I'm doing is I'm working on a a couple of things. Number one is I'm working on the story of a couple of uh, Special Olympic athletes, and we are doing a movie about them. And then the second thing we are doing is a more, uh, it's going to be a study like this, only a lot of churches don't know how to work with persons with disabilities, and they have callings too, and they have careers too. And so often we, we lay aside people that are different than us, differently abled, and it could be people who are, uh, there's, a, there's a whole range of differently abled. One of my friends says there's a shadow congregation that three in ten people who attend church on Sunday are experiencing depression or some form of mental illness, but they can't talk about it because it's not something that we've given people permission to be open with and to work with. So I'm doing something to try and help with that, and I see it as holistic and con- coinciding with this Christians in the Workplace. Uh, curriculum that we've done, it's trying to get the whole body of Christ as a body of Christ, working with one another, and then we're reaching out into our community. And it's so important. I had a guest on my show a couple weeks ago. It might have been last week. And we talked about, you know, a lot of times we talk about the body of Christ, the different parts of the body of Christ, you know, the arms and legs, the eyes, the ears, you know, whatever it may be. This guy says, what about the corpuscles? You know, what about those? What about those veins? What do those people look like? What are the What are the people? I mean, we don't ever think about the internal workings. We always give a lot of credit to the people that are on the outside doing a right. lot of the action. We don't give a lot of those behind the scene people, and we also discredit people that we don't understand. Well, and one thing that's really important, you know, Paul's. If you read Second Corinthians, and if you read a lot of Paul's writings, a lot of his wisdom and a lot of what we use today through the scriptures is a result of his suffering. And so often the people who have experienced suffering and who are working through with the added uh, challenge of a disability each day, a lot of times they're more spiritually mature and have more to offer us than we have to offer them. And we miss that because when you look, that is the model. It's the suffering Christ who is then resurrected, and it's Paul who doesn't have the thorn in his flesh taken out, and he says, in my weakness, then I am strong. And so we need to recognize that some of the people who are, have the most powerful impact on us through the power of Christ are persons who the world looks down on. Mm. 
That's that's powerful. We can maybe do a whole show on that. Maybe when that movie is done, we can do a show on that. All right, just one. Le- I got twenty five seconds. How should we be praying for the state of California? You guys are not only just in a. You're, you're, it's not just a water crisis anymore. I mean, it's really like a water mageddon because we, you're in trouble. We have a drought. We have a drought, and I think that we need to pray that we have rain. I also think we need to pray for wisdom because we are. We are very big water consumers, and I think that we need to pray for rain, and we need to pray for changes in how we consume water to make it wiser and to make wiser decisions about how we consume water. So we want to pray for rain and for wisdom. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you hear the stories. Now, we're in Florida where we don't think about it because we get 60 inches of rain every year. But <laughs> it's tough to put that in perspective. All right, we've come to the end of another I Work For Him show. And my challenge out to you is to go out to IWorkForHim.com, IWork, the number for Him.com, and join the I Work For Him Nation. Right on the front page, there's a flag that'll pop up and said, join the I Work For Him Nation. Finally got that done yesterday. And here's what we're asking you to do. Pray for your coworkers and employees by name each and every day. Look for ways to befriend them outside of the workplace because it's relationship that gives you that opportunity to develop and share the gospel with them. Look for ways to serve them in the workplace, your coworkers and employees. Be ready to pray with them when you see that their countenance is down and has changed and you've got an opportunity to say, hey, what's going on? Hey, can I pray with you about that? Be the but all along, be the best and brightest example of a person in your workplace each and every day, a person seeking excellence. Those are the people we want in the I Work For Him Nation. Go onto the I Work For Him website and say, I want to join and give us your name and so we can be praying for you and work alongside you to impact Tampa Bay and around the world. And while you're on the website, look for the huge announcements of great big things that are going on for I Work For Him. July the 20th, big changes. Look out there on the website to find out all about them. Bigger, better, stronger, faster. You're listening to the I Work For Him show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower who owns my own business, but ultimately, I work for him.